to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of mixartist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. This is the Production Talk Podcast, Episode 5. Thank you for tuning in again to the Production Talk Podcast. It's great to have you on board again. Today, I'm taking you with me on a little drive out to the Byron Hinterland, deep down into the Australian rainforest, where I met with my dear friend Jesse of the Jesse Morris Band for a really exciting interview. Jesse is the singer, guitar player and band leader of the Jesse Morris Band and they just finished the production of their third album, Children of the Sun. So it's a very exciting time to talk to him about how this album was produced in the midst of a global pandemic. So let's jump straight into this interview with Jesse Morris. So today we're now at my friend's uh, Jesse Morris house. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks, Jan. I think you picked a good time and my... Two magic children have gone out to a swimming lesson and it's a rare moment of uh, near silence around the house. Peace and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Jesse, thank you for making time for us. Um, would you mind to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, musical background and your musical career? I mean, I've been living in the Northern Rivers for nearly eight years now, but before that I'm from the inner west of Sydney where I... Um, I grew up. I grew up in eastern suburbs in Mascot and then did my high schooling at Newtown Performing Arts in the inner west. And my dad's a Sydney blues musician, so I grew up in a house that had a recording studio. And, uh, nice. And, um, and he was a guitar teacher, so there's lots of guitars around. And um, I'm left-handed, but I play right-handed guitar because there's lots of right-handed instruments in the house. And so Yeah, right. It's probably a, a, a budget decision there to, oh, okay. to teach me that way, I think. Have you ever tried to <laughs> uh, try left-handed guitar? Yeah, oh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. No, um, okay. Yeah, no. It's no muscle memory for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sydney was my, my first gigs, you know, where I had my first bands there and, you know, spent 10 years playing with some, some of my dearest friends. We still do some musical projects together still. Um, but then... I had a long travel in the middle of that and ended up up here and found some wonderful musicians to play with up here that have become some of the best friends in my life also now for the last, you know, Fantastic. seven or eight years. Fantastic. Yeah, well, the uh, Northern Rivers is definitely musical breeding ground, isn't it? You know, there's so much creativity and so many, it's like a hub, like a musical hub where everything disconnects. Eh? Totally. Um, can you tell us about your, your band, the Jesse Morris Band? How yeah. long have you been together and now how did it all start? Yeah, well, when I was first forming a band up here, um, I formed it with my one of my musical brothers, Rob DeMassi. Um, and Rob DeMassi and I were doing some duo gigs and looking for looking for a bass player um, to sort of grow that. And Tom Kelly found us via a, a friend connection, seeing that we were looking for a musician. And and Tom's been playing now. We mean for about six years. We're pretty sure we've done over a thousand gigs together. Um. Even in amongst COVID, we we started to get some gigs again recently, and we just did three the last in the last twenty four hours. 
And um, so we've done a lot of gigs together, Tom and I. And um, Rob played with us for a couple of years, but he's travelled on across the world and he's now down in Melbourne. Um, and, you know, I've had heard a lot about Hugh Jones as a drummer and seen Tom and Hugh play together and they're a, a real rhythm section to be reckoned with. You know, they're the, they're the powerhouse. And so, yeah, we got Hugh as a drummer um, maybe four or five years ago. And the Magic Sisters, Chelsea and Eleanor, um, local horn players, we met along that journey. Mm. And, um, and Marky Power, he was our live dubs, uh, mad scientist. I, I met in Federal. Yeah, a, right. That's where I live. And we just had Marky on the podcast. Sure. So he's an absolute legend. Uh, yeah. Part of the bigger musical family here. Um, okay, so um, have you always been into reggae or have you experimented with other genres as well? Yeah, I played um, lots of different genres, mostly in the in the roots music space. My dad's an old blues player. That sort of nineteen twenties finger style stuff is is really his area. And so, there's been time in my life when I've really focused on some finger picking old timey blues stuff, which I really love. Mm. Um, and some of that's come out in in some of the music I've released. Um, but I think you know, my mum listened to soul, and um, you know, she had all the all the cool disco and soul albums and probably introduced me more to that side and funk and things and dad more had the blues and rock and roll stuff in his record collection and I think that you know when I first heard reggae music when I was you know 12 or 13 some good stuff and um you know I, I, that sort of married those genres together for me and made sense you know the messages to to all people and And it's, you know, powerful, positive messages. I remember being 13 and playing in a high school band and, you know, and we had a little repertoire of Bob Marley songs that we used to froth on then. <sighs> That's probably the, you know, I think, how reggae found my life. That's where it all started. And and how would you describe the the Jesse Morris band today? You know, what, what's unique about your, your music? Sure. Well, you know, I mean, I think every bit of music is unique in itself. Um You know, I don't think of us as a reggae band. Um, I just think of them as songs, mm. you know, and um, I think they're, they're songs with derivatives of um, African and Caribbean influence is probably the strongest influence yeah. on, on my music and a lot of the guys that I play with, their music mm. rooted in African and Caribbean roots. But there's Are there um, any artist names you could drop at the stage? Any, any of your personal heroes? Oh, sure. I mean, I think... I think that, you know, I really, this last couple of years, listened to Midnight a lot, mm, you know. and I love Midnight. And that's sort of, you know, something that I've only had snippets of in my life, but now it's like I'm, I'm converted, you know, like mm -hmm. just the those rhythms, those hypnotic rhythms, you know, but records that I, I love listening to are probably more like, you know, Fela Kuti. Yeah. It's probably stuff that uh, I found in Dad's collection early and still have on my record collection now and, you know, really African-influenced um, stuff is, is probably stuff I really froth on. Beautiful. And um, you're the singer and guitar player and the band leader and yep. um, of, of the Jesse Morris band. And um, just tell us about your instruments. Um, what guitar do you play? And uh, have you got a selection? Um, which ones do you prefer? Sure. Well, mostly in the... It depends on the shows as to what the guitars are that I'm using. But uh, I've got a pretty magic locally made uh, weave electric guitar, um, which is Clem. 
which is made from some some camphor and some scrap timbers, and I really I really love that guitar. Um, it's become part of my life now, and it took a mm. while for really gel, but now I love that guitar, and um, I probably use that more than anything else. And it's sort okay. of a sort of a telly copy with um with a with a humbucker on the front pickup, and um nice yeah, and a Bigsby on the back, and yeah, I'm starting to love that guitar. And um, acoustic guitars uh, probably what I've played the most, you know. Um, over the years, and there's a wonderful Australian guitar maker called Gerard Gillet. I've got a couple that have come out of his space, uh, but they come via dad. Mm. You know, one of them's sitting there, which is the, it's actually a Michael Pemberty, which is one of the guitar makers at Gerard Gillet's place, and it was uh, handmade in 1983. And um, and I've got a, a Gillet sort of bigger body guitar that was, that was 91 handmade, and I've had that for about, 20 years now. Well, so they're, they're probably the two special acoustic guitars. But I got a magic Japanese guitar, a Yiri, that was handmade the year I was born in 1981. And it's, oh, phenomenal. And I've just had all three of these um, repaired this year and sort of brought back to, to how they should sound. And they, I just feel so good about them now, actually. <laughs> Thanks, Clem. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's great to hear. Good. Um, so you've got a couple of records out. And... Um, I think um, you are now in the middle of uh, the or in the finishing on the finishing stretch for your third album. Is that right? Yeah. Just uh, just tell us about uh, how this album came together, and you know, then came COVID, and I'm sure that's that threw a spanner in the works. Yeah. Um, what, what happened? Yeah, with we, this record at the time of us sort of starting this record, we had the material written. We're just sort of looking for the space and time. Uh, I was doing some work for the. The local legends at One Vision, um, a local not-for-profit who uh, who sort of make hip hop music and music videos with um, at-risk youth at schools, and they're a bunch of local legends. Um, I was helping them out in their office a few days a week, a couple of days a week, and we traded some time for some studio time. Um, and so, sort of made a decision for the next thing we're going to release that we wanted to work with Paulie B up at Yamanui for the mix, um, but that we would track locally with um, with our local crew. Um, And then opportunity for the studio came up um, for me to trade some time for that. And so a couple of weeks free during school holidays when nobody was going to be in there, we could use that time. And then we just needed someone to come in and track the drums with us. And we rang you, Jahan, and you were in Sydney. <laughs> we rang Nathan Stamborough and a couple of other the brothers locally, Eric. Yeah, big shout out to Nathan. Yeah. Legend. A couple of legends and Eric as well. Um, and luckily our friend Jarrah. Kurth was free. He's a wonderful drummer from the band Sun Salute, plays drums with us sometimes. So we got Jarrah to come and track those drums with us um, in One Vision. Rhythm section there, got some really good takes. You know, we spent a few days solidly on it. How many songs uh, did you record there? Six. Six songs. And, and how many days in the studio did you spend? We did four days on drums and bass. Um, you know, with one day for setup and then another three days of, of tracking. Not Basically full, means two songs a day. Yeah. Yeah. And not full days, more like, you know, full days can be a bit a bit trying. We try not mm. to do that anymore. More like sort of six, yeah. six hours, six to seven hours. Yeah, you know? that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. And uh, where were all the other signals recorded? Um, now we just had a listen together and obviously yeah. I heard guitars and uh, keys and lots of percussion and horns and backings and vocals and yeah, uh, probably a few things I missed, dubs, of course. Where was all that produced? Yeah, well, we still got the horns in, in the big studio just mm. before COVID and most of them, nearly all the lines in, and we used some specific gear that was in there um, 
And then COVID kicked in and we had to think about recording the rest of the horns, the vocal parts, dubs, keys, guitars, and, you know, all of a sudden we're all in our home spaces. And so we moved into, into home recording spaces for all those from our various studios, from all of us, us players. I managed to borrow some of the gear that I was using in One Vision um, to, to make up for some of that time because they weren't using the studio. And so I had a, access to a, a Focusrite ISA 1FF, one of those, it's like a, a single channel out of their you know, epic desks mm-hmm. in, a, in the one unit which I think was it was just becoming a real highlight on the recording. So I'm very lucky that we got, got yeah. to use that. That's um, one lovely preamp. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from here at home, we were using 414s mostly, um, and I've got a 214. Mm-hmm. But, um, which you're using right now, by the way, and it's a lovely sounding microphone. Yeah, they, I mean, they're great, especially mm. for that price range. It's mm. just, you know, if you're only doing things that are going to be fairly close and, you know, 180 degrees, I think it's it's a good yeah. mic. But I, I was able to borrow the 414 from there as well because nobody was using it. So I had access to the to that, yeah, Focusrite ISA and the, and the 414 for a few weeks. And so I just got straight into recording pretty much when I was at home. Literally right here where we are now in this room. Yeah. And you recorded all the vocals there? Yep, vocals were done here. Um, and uh, I guess your guitars as well? Yeah, guitars were done here. Um, yeah, I forgot to mention earlier, uh, which amp did you play for this album? Well, I've got a, a Supro sitting under that bag there that's I've been really loving the last couple of years. It's just super bright, strong, plenty of headroom, clean, mm. no noise. But halfway through recording here, that actually started to play up and... Um, And I replaced all the tubes, mm-hmm. waited for the slow mail to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and it wasn't, I borrowed some, borrowed some off, off TK and waited for more to turn up and it didn't fix the problem. So I know that anywhere I'm going to send that amp to get fixed is going to be a couple of months away and during COVID, probably even longer. So yeah. I ended up, um, I ended up borrowing a, a Fender Princeton and trying that out. Um, Lovely. And, um, and then I ended up buying one to finish the album in the end because I liked it so much. I knew I wasn't going to be able to borrow it for, the, you know, for a month or so. So I've got a, a Fender Princeton now that I really like. Fantastic. Good for recording. Yeah. Small size and, um, you know, it's got that beautiful Fender reverb. So most of the skanks on the album are done on the Supro and a lot of the, the sounds are done on the on the Fender Princeton. Fantastic. And and where were the horns recorded? At your place as well or at Chelsea's house? Or Yeah, the finishing of horns was done at, at Chelsea and Tom's place. Mm. And they've got some nice mics and yeah. some good production gear. I'm assuming they're going to be on one of these podcasts. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> asked Tom yet, but sooner or later, hopefully, sure. uh, I'll get him in front of a microphone. There's probably a lot to discuss. <laughs> I think so. Nice one. Good. And uh, we just, you know, had a listen just before we started this podcast and it sounds phenomenal. So whatever you did there, you nailed that in, ev- in every aspect. So I, I really can't wait for, for the album to be out. Is there a, a release date or yeah. a, 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 at least a rough idea? Have you got a rough idea? There's a rough idea, but I mean, it's difficult <clears throat> to make those uh, release date plans at the moment mm. because for oh, us, course. for yeah. us, the release date, we want to, we want to tour with it, you know, and um, yeah. So I think we're going to hold out till to probably midway through next year, um, towards the end. Yeah. Um, we'll release a couple of the tunes in the new year. Okay. Um, so there's at least a single or two, and we'll start working on on other aspects like you know some film clips and some remixes. And I think we'll hold out dropping the album until midway through the year, so we can go on place for places where people can dance <laughs> when people are allowed to dance again. Absolutely, it's very danceable music, definitely. 
Um, say, can you tell us a little bit more about your your home studio? How would you describe you know the gear and this room to sure. to the listeners? Yeah, well, I mean, this is just a room in my house. Um, it's the the spare bedroom that's always my music space and my little office space where I would practice or plan gigs or hang out with the kids and play music. Um, and um, yeah. And it's just a, it's a room in my house, right in the middle of the house, in between all the rooms everywhere. Um, and um, the, the beautiful thing about it is that the window opens up and I can see outside into the rainforest and that's quite magic. And definitely where I am, there is no roads nearby. It's a kilometre down oh, to my driveway. Helps. So mm. that does help. I think that um, the obstacle of having two magic young children for my partner and I is that the house is often not so quiet. So I do a lot of the music work here through the night. Okay. And, um, and you know, and that's... Mm. That's sort of workable because my family all sleep a, a few rooms away in the house. And yeah, right. So, so you need to, to constantly balance the noise levels and yeah, mm. so that's probably a, an obstacle. But uh, but a lot of good creative things come to me at night, so that works. Okay, that's a, that's not a bad workflow for me. And the space itself, um, I mean, the after I borrowed that ISA one for um, from the One Vision crew, I just fell in love with that as a as a tool and for me I'm mostly going to be recording one thing here. I think I'll only be recording one thing so I, I think that's an I ended up buying one, you know, to to finish the album mm. because there's still more things to do and I wanted it to match up and I thought that's a piece of gear I'll probably have for 20 years. And um so I've got a Focusrite ISA which goes out into my Presonus AR12 desk. That sort of does the digital conversion and then straight into a MacBook with um, with Pro Tools on it. And that's okay. that's my process. It's pretty simple, you know. Which means um, that you actually had to be the musician and the creative and the songwriter and the producer and also the engineer all at the same time. So you're probably wearing quite a few little different hats. Sure. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think I wouldn't say that. Um, I would say that I was the one of the tracking engineers. Mm. You know, that's probably what my credit could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, because um, I'm definitely, definitely making sure that it gets into the hands of of um, of producers with your level of skill, yarn to finish the albums. Because I know that I can track some things, but um, I still think that even in all all this process, it's still worth honouring those that have spent their time with those instruments a bit longer to, you know, mm. to take those things that attract. I think getting a good sound through a good mic and a good um, preamp is achievable, you know. And I think some of the rest of the stuff yeah. that comes in with producing takes time. I, I couldn't agree more. Look, uh, in my books, it's it's all about getting it right at the source and, you know, it all comes down to the performance. Mm. So, you know, once you've got this magical moment where the performance is just spot on, it almost doesn't matter what microphone it is. Almost. Sure. Almost. Sure. Uh, um, I usually find that most things you can fix later with plugins and, and software. Mm. Uh, the only thing you can't fix is, is performance. And, you know, once you've captured the performance, that's just where, where the money is. So have you, uh, I'm just looking around here. It looks like this room is almost cube shape and no acoustic treatment. <clears throat> no, that's which, right. um, you know, if you go by the books, it's the worst sounding room possible. Sure. And you still manage to produce an, uh, a fantastic sounding record in this room. Yeah, I think that the vocals, I've got a little vocal screen that's, you know, it's tiny. I mean, that'd be what, 40 centimeters by 30 high. And it's a cheap one. But that does enough of a job to be able to sing into and I put that in the corner there in the corner of the room that little vocal screen and for the guitars I actually I, I like that the, the bit of the room reverb that's on there you can hear it mm. you know and um, 
I actually really enjoy that. So I'm okay with recording those things. I think if we tried to do horns in here or something that was, you know, super bright, we'd have to we'd have to put a, a little wall up or something. That'd be tricky. But yeah, work for vocals and guitar. Oh, fantastic. That's really good. And um, do, do you remember what microphone you use for, for the guitar cabinet? Yeah, I use the 214 on the oh, okay. guitar cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For all of the takes and then also for the vocals? The vocals I used, I, I had that 414 mm. borrowed. So I continued using the 414, except for a few harmonies at the, um, you know, that I added in later when I no longer had that. I used the 214. Mm. Did you sing all the harmonies yourself? Nope. Harmonies were majority um, Tom and Chelsea and Eleanor. Yeah. Tom and Chelsea recorded their um, parts. From their home, they lived together during lockdown, and then once they were allowed to have visitors legally again, and Eleanor um, came around and recorded hers there too, actually, because um, mm. Eleanor doesn't have; she's in the middle of moving, and she doesn't have a studio space at her place at the moment. So basically, one studio now um, at One Vision, which is um, a fairly basic studio, if I remember correctly, is that right? Or? Yeah, they've got a. Um, a couple of really nice pieces of gear yeah. and and a and a treated room and a control room. So it's yeah. sort of a two-room studio. Um, it's small in size. Yeah, and, uh, you just fit the drum kit yeah. in the, yeah, in the exactly. tracking room. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we did bass in, in the control room and guitars I did in the kitchen just outside yeah. the, the studio. Okay. And then the rest was literally recorded either here or at Tom's place. Yeah. In two other home studios. And also um, down in Coffs Harbour. Marky yeah. added some dubs. Yes. So Marky had live dubs on, on all vocals, snares and horns. And um, he's in Emerald Beach down on the Coffs Coast there. Lovely place. Good. Um, Say, so there are probably a lot of musicians out there who are in the same boat. Um, have you got any advice for them to, when they're struggling to produce at home? Any suggestions and advice to share? Yeah, sure. I think for me, you know, having that, Having one good preamp, you know, really mm. simplified the process, you know, uh, and you're not trying to use the, you know, the mixer or the external sound card and then using the gear that's in there later. That one good preamp just does all that, you know, straight from the signal in. That's a good tool to have. Um, and, I, you know, I've always been a believer in, you know, in just having one good mic that you That's, that's the mic that you use. It's consistent across all of those things, you know. So one good mic, one good preamp is really all you need. Definitely, definitely. Um, you tracked it all without any additional gear like compressors or so. So it was just literally a microphone, preamp, then not through your mixer, converted and straight to, to Pro Tools. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, say, did, please don't take any offense, but uh, how, how old is your computer? Did it, did it run through okay? <laughs> Or yeah. did it play up? You know, it looks like it's an older uh, model. I've got a MacBook Air, actually. I've got a, a Mac Tower behind you. That's um, that's. That I love that computer, but um, mm. I'm I'm going to be talking to you about it after the podcast about about <laughs> where where we can get it fixed. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. I need it back in that. my life. <laughs> we can do that. We can definitely do that. But even so, that's 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 2015. The, the mm. tower. But I, I oh, wanna, that's fairly recent. I, I want to get that back, <laughs> back working. Mm. Um, the MacBook Air is, it's not that old actually. I think it's 2016. Oh, okay. Um, mm. But it probably looks like it's a bit older because 
it's um often sits in the bag traveling around yeah right okay <laughs> and, um, but a computer but mm. I, you know the rule of thumb is you don't use macbook airs to to record with though right and um and i actually have had uh, little to no problems using it yeah, but, there you go you proved everybody wrong but and you pulled it off but I'm aware that, you know, um, as soon as I start dropping some plugins into Pro Tools, mm. things can change quite quickly. But, again, it goes back to my method of I prefer to let other people mix my tracks, you know, and, um, and I come up with ideas here. I can, um, I can track them and, you know, comfortable with that. But, you know, I leave, I leave the mixing to, mm. to an engineer. Okay. That's definitely a wise idea. It can be very frustrating to, to mix if... Uh if you don't have that experience yet. Yeah, the experience. Mm. And I think also for my own process um, is also, you know, having another set of ears away from, you know, someone that's written the songs and also then tracked them all and and had the same listening ears that whole time through that. It's good for somebody else to, to yes, depart their, not only their knowledge and wisdom but also a fresh listen, you know. Okay. And um, say, was, was Paulie involved early on in the project or did you just, you know, record all the songs start to finish and then dumped all the files on him or did he, you know, give you some input on the arrangements and, you know, whether there were any verses to be dropped or anything like that? No, we had reached out um, a couple of times over the last couple of years and just been around Paulie at festivals and things and had said, you know, we need to do, super keen to do some tracks with you and, you know, he was keen and... um had to find the space and the time and so we just connected that that we wanted to track ourselves and you know they're written finished songs and that mm. um and that we're looking for him to to do the mixes of our of our tracking and whether he'd be happy to work like that because you know i wanted to make sure that we also you know honor a process that he was comfortable with you know and he said yeah. he, he was going to be happy to because he you know heard the songs and knew that they were finished songs you know ones that we'd written performed and played and you mm. know and ones that people knew that That, um, that he was happy to take them like that, you know, us to track and, and he would he would then work with them from there. Um, he's made some some nice calls and adjustments and dropouts in places we didn't have a dropout in and and, um, and has done that sort of additional production that, um, you know, that I also wasn't expecting that's really made things a little bit more special that we've already adopted into our live show. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah, I think... The decision to work with Paulie B is also just, you know, he's worked on a, a lot of albums that I really like, really dig, you know, mm. things like Kingfisher and, and that Magic Bobby Alou album that's, mm. you know, that I'm frothing on at the moment. Really like his his work and his playing, you know, he's a good player, Paulie. Yeah. Amazing. Say, so, and um, do you mind sharing whether the songs were recorded on a click or not? Yeah, we record with the click. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, partly it's because all of us are just used to that, yep. you know, and that's something that we've done a lot of. Um, but also we want to be able to use these tracks in the environment of sharing with our electronic music producing friends and we want them to be able to be remixed and yep. and different versions and stems. And so I think if you've got plans to do other things with them and, and there's also other opportunities that come in, you know, to do with... Um, you know, people that create other content and being able to use some of that material in those spaces. If you want to do that, it, it is a lot easier if it's recorded to a click. But also we've done a lot of recording that way, so the process feels mm. a bit more comfortable to us. And a big thing from listening to so much Midnight the last couple of years 
is I just want to, uh, that's a big thing for me is it, you know, really nice, precise timing. I listened to only two songs earlier today and they sounded really tight. Mm. Now the rhythm section is just perfectly locked in and bitchy can't help yourself, but Bob, you had, you know, there's no stopping that. Cool, fantastic. So um, where would people um, be able to find out more about your, your band? Uh, where can they go to, to listen to your music and uh, where, where can they buy the upcoming album? Oh, yeah, we normally direct people to Bandcamp. Um, when you look up the Jesse Morris band on there, um, our, our last album that we made with you, Jan. And um, thank you, brother. My we, pleasure, mate. And um, we, um, we've got that available on all the places. You can go just about anywhere to find that. But we prefer people to go to Bandcamp because the money gets more direct to us. Um, And you can get it on Spotify and all those other places, but you know, but Spotify mm. isn't always the best place to support <clears throat> local bands. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And um, Spotify is also not the best sounding place to go online. Totally, there are definitely better places to go. Um, a couple of months ago, I went to to see a friend in a studio in Sydney, and they had a title on that computer. So we just wanted to listen to some music, and I just opened up uh, one of the songs from The Shakedown, which is your previous record. And uh, I was just really amazed to see how under, you know, critical studio conditions, uh, it actually sounded exactly how I expected it to sound. And you don't necessarily get that from from Spotify, unfortunately. I wish they would improve the the quality, the playback quality a little. Sure, and Tidal does that, hey? It, Tidal is definitely the winner for me between those. Um, yeah, Amazon Prime is definitely very nice. Um, but there are also a lot of players, uh, online streaming services that actually sound really shocking. Mm. And um, SoundCloud is one of them. It's interesting how how widely SoundCloud gets used. As, mm. you know, of course, yeah. Yeah, but course. it's yeah, the quality is uh, is low. What was the studio that you were visiting? That was Forbes Street Studio. They are uh, associated with Universal, and they do a lot of hip hop and pop productions there. Okay, nice space. It's a lovely studio. It's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. We recorded some uh, videos there. So um, cool. there's actually videos on, on YouTube. Maybe I could put Oh, yeah, I've seen your, in, uh, and yeah, some of your, your series. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was just mumbling on about compression or something like yeah. this in that studio. Yeah, I remember seeing the space now. Yeah, yeah, but cool. That was a phenomenal studio, so great space to be in. And, uh, yep, your record sounded great on those speakers so that's really good to see if, if you choose the right uh, player sure. i reckon mm. title okay yeah title is not the most popular one uh, definitely not it's a bit of an underdog but to my ears it definitely sounds better than spotify by a long a long while yeah. good um have you got a website where people could buy or buy merchandise directly from you yeah yeah um .au, um and you can link to that from social media And you can find some of our current stuff, T-shirts and CDs and things. Um, you know, yep, that's probably the new album will be Bandcamp and, um, and it'll be via our website. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for, for your time today. Pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I wish you all the best for the upcoming album. It's uh, exciting times. You know, you've already sold a copy to me. <laughs> I'm going to buy it, no, no matter what, that's for sure. And, you know, I've listened so far, you know, to two songs and they just blew my socks off. So can't wait to, to hear that. And uh, I would definitely make another announcement once it's out to our listeners so everybody knows. Thank you for your time today, Jesse. Thanks, brother. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. Bless up. Blessings to the family. Cheers, huh? 
You probably noticed that we recorded this interview before the release date of that album was known. By the time you listen to this podcast, the album is actually out and you can just follow the link to the show notes and click right there. Alternatively, just go to jessimorrisband.com.au or find Jesse Morris on Bandcamp. Thank you very much. So that means we have reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. That means the world to me. Also, thank you very much to Naren of Alchemy Audio, who helped out with the editing of this podcast episode. You rock, man! And also thank you to all the listeners who filled out the survey that I published last week. I would like to give it a shot uh, for the next few weeks. I will increase the frequency to weekly, which is quite exciting. I'm not quite sure if I'm up for the job because I'm actually very busy mixing music and uh, looking after my family. But I definitely want to give it a shot. So for the next few weeks, I will release my podcast weekly and then I will reconsider and see if I can keep that up. Thank you very much for filling out the survey and all the encouraging words I've received. I really appreciate this very much. I'm taking the survey offline now and I hope you'll join me again in a week's time. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye for now.